Good evening. R. Kelly is sentenced to 30 years in federal prison on sex trafficking charges. NATO invites new members as the United States boosts its military presence in Europe. And New York State sues over ghost guns. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Wednesday, June 29th, 2022. Speaking at the NATO Alliance Annual Summit in Madrid, President Joe Biden said today the United States will significantly expand its military presence in Europe. The United States will enhance our force posture in Europe and respond to the changed security environment as well as strengthening our collective security. Earlier this year, we surged 20,000 additional U.S. forces to Europe to bolster our alliance in response to Russia's aggressive move bringing our force total in Europe to 100,000. We're going to continue to adjust our posture based on the threat in close consultation with our allies. And together, our allies, we're going to make up sure that NATO is ready to meet threats from all directions across every domain, land, air, and the sea. President Biden, his statement is a dramatic shift underway as the United States prepares to keep 100,000 troops in Europe for the foreseeable future, up from 80,000 before the war in Ukraine began. Speaking with Biden was NATO Secretary General Jen Stoltenberg, who says the change in NATO's posture is historic. It will be a transformative summit where we'll make decisions that will actually change this alliance for many years to come. We will agree a new strategic concept, um, the blueprint for NATO into the future, more dangerous world, uh, a more competitive world. We will agree the biggest overhaul of our collective defense deterrence since the end of the Cold War. And the U.S. is, of course, very much part of that. And then we will invite Finland and Sweden to join NATO. And that demonstrates that NATO's door is open. It demonstrates that uh, President Putin has not succeeded in closing NATO's door. Solenberg also announced that the accession of Finland and Sweden to the alliance, and that's what it's called an accession to the alliance, is the quickest process ever, despite admitting the full ratification procedure hadn't been completed. Today, NATO leaders took the historic decision to invite Finland and Sweden to become members of NATO. The agreement concluded last night by Turkey. Finland and Sweden paved the way for this decision. Stoltenberg admitted that all NATO countries need to agree to the expansion in their domestic parliaments, something that's still to come. Meanwhile, the war in Ukraine grinds on. Russian forces battle today to surround the Ukrainian military's last stronghold in the long-contested eastern province of Donbass. Russian forces have been pushing towards two villages south of Lashansk, while Ukrainian troops fought to prevent their encirclement. Britain's defense ministry says Russian forces were making incremental advances in their offensive to capture the last city in the Luhansk province under Ukrainian control. Russian troops and their separatist allies control 95% of Luhansk and about half of Donetsk, the two provinces that make up the mostly Russian-speaking Donbass. Avril Haines, the U.S. Director of National Intelligence, says Russia may think time is on its side due to the escalating costs borne by the West and fatigue as the war grows longer. The most likely scenario predicted by American intelligence, Haynes says, is a grinding struggle in which Russia consolidates its hold over southern Ukraine by the fall. A professor of political science in the School of Government and Public Policy at the University of Arizona is Pat Willerton. He says the Russian economy is stronger than Westerners thought, and it shows minimum stresses from sanctions. He says the war is growing into a proxy battle that cannot win against Russia in its own backyard. You, the 
essentially as involving great power politics and great power rivalry. I think it's very clear historically that that Ukraine is a part of the Russian sphere of influence. So is Georgia. These are two places where we have had challenge, conflict, whether fighting or not, uh, West and Russia. And so from my standpoint, this really is not about democracy or authoritarianism. This is about power. And the Russians have been very clear for 30 years that they would not countenance a NATO base, NATO forces, uh, nuclear weapons in Ukraine. And they have warned for a long time that they would respond forcefully to this. The United States does not have any historical deep relationship with Ukraine, although we have many Ukrainian Americans here. We have a stated sphere of influence. It's the Americas. The next year, it'll be 200 years since we initiated the Monroe Doctrine. And as recently as 2019, John Bolton, President Trump's national security advisor, said we abide by the Monroe Doctrine. And the Monroe Doctrine, among other things, gives us the right to keep foreign powers, great powers, out of the Americas. And we've done so very consistently. Obviously, the most recent powerful moment was in Cuba in 1962. And no one here talked about Cuban sovereignty. No one here talked about the right of the Cuban people to defend themselves, especially after the failed Bay of Pigs effort. This was the Soviet argument why they went in. The reason they wanted to get in there was they wanted to put weapons very close to us, and we understood that. I look at this as great power politics. Is this fair? Should the Ukrainian people have a right to determine their fate? In principle, in a dream world, yes. Unfortunately, we live in a nation-state world where great powers determine the situation in their region. Is it fair what's going on now? China vis-a-vis Hong Kong. What about Tibet? What happened to Tibet? Why are they there? Why did we do nothing other than to complain about it? The truth of the matter is great powers extend themselves in ways and there are understandings. One can't help but feel incredible empathy for the Ukrainian people. But as I said to somebody on a plane, this was a number of years ago from Canada, I said, I got to be honest with you. You are our probably our closest friend. We share a, a common border of thousands of miles that's unarmed. But you have as much real freedom of maneuver and autonomy as we give you. You will never be a part of a foreign system, an alliance, an economic, military, political alliance that excludes the United States. We will never allow this. This isn't really an issue. We have common views, but this is the bottom line, and this is the reality of our own Monroe Doctrine. This is about great powers. The United States has been very clear, and we've zealously guarded ours. Of course, ours is quite big because it includes Western Europe, Israel, Japan, South Korea, Australia, New Zealand. So we have a very large sphere of influence of maybe 60, 70 countries that we are bound to defend. The most interesting, of course, now will be Taiwan. We have strong relations with them. If China makes a move, are we going to get into a conflict with China over Taiwan? These are really great power issues. Do the Ukrainian people, do the Taiwanese people have a right to uh, articulate and press for their own independent sovereignty? I would say they have every right to do it. Unfortunately, though, this global system is about power. So in the end, the more powerful countries have more rights.
this is the reality. It's not fair, but that's the reality. Pat Willerton is professor of political science in the School of Government and Public Policy at the University of Arizona. Meanwhile, crews continue to search through the rubble of the shopping mall in Kremenchuk, where Ukrainian authorities say 20 people remain missing. After the attack on the mall, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky accused Russia of becoming a terrorist state. He's asked the West for more modern artillery systems and other weapons to defeat Russia or face a delayed war between Russia and yourself. And President Joe Biden's top health official, Health and Human Services Secretary Xavier Becerra, said yesterday that every option is on the table when it comes to helping women access abortion after the Supreme Court of the United States decision overturning Roe v. Wade. But the gap between outrage over the ruling and the administration's response appeared as wide as ever. There is no magic bullet. But if there is something we can do, we will find it and we will do it at HHS. Indeed, that was the instruction I received from the President of the United States. Last Friday, President Biden announced the actions he is taking to ensure medication abortion is available to the full extent possible and that women can travel safely from states where abortion is now banned to states where abortion is legal. Here's how HHS will support these issues. Medication abortion has been approved by the FDA for years and is safe for patients. It is the gold standard for care when someone who's pregnant experiences a miscarriage, which is all too real for many expectant mothers across the country. We will continue to support the FDA and its rigorous scientific review for these safe and effective drugs. We will also work with the Attorney General and the Department of Justice as they work to ensure that states may not ban medication abortion based on a disagreement with the FDA's expert judgment about the drug's safety and efficacy. Becerra said federal law requires the providing of medication abortion in cases involving rape or incest or to protect the life of the mother. Becerra says he also wants his department to examine its authority to ensure that the judgment of doctors and hospitals is supported in treating pregnant patients. Becerra was also asked about the prospect of providing transportation to women who traveled to another state to get an abortion. He says, once we tell you exactly what we believe we are able to do, have the money to do, we'll let you know. And here in New York, R&B superstar R. Kelly was sentenced to 30 years in prison today for using his fame to sexually abuse young fans, including some who were just children, in a systematic scheme that allegedly went on for decades. Brooklyn U.S. Attorney Brian Pace said the sentence should send a message to the rich and powerful they will face justice. Moments ago, R. Kelly was sentenced to 30 years in prison. This is a significant outcome for all victims of R. Kelly, and especially for the survivors who so bravely testified about the horrific and sadistic abuse they endured. R. Kelly is a predator. And as a result of our prosecution, he'll serve a long jail sentence for his crimes. With the aid of his fame, his money, and most importantly, his inner circle, R. Kelly preyed upon children and young women for his own sexual gratification for decades. He used coercive control, exemplified by a pattern of isolation, rules, dependence, threats, intimidation tactics, physical abuse, and at least once, the presence of a gun to force victims, including minors, to engage in sexual activity with him and others 
and to become unwilling participants in the pornographic films he wrote, produced, and directed. Kelly's lawyer, Jennifer Bongean, said her client was devastated by the sentence and saddened by what he had heard. He's a human being. He feels what other people are feeling. But that doesn't mean that he can accept responsibility in the way that the government would like him to and other people would like him to because he disagrees with the characterizations that have been made about him, she said. But Homeland Security investigator Steve Francis claimed he's a dangerous man who led a conspiracy to abuse young women and that this man was taken off the streets by the sentence. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Steve Francis, the executive associate director for Homeland Security Investigations, HSI. This man is a prolific serial predator who utilized his status as a Grammy award-winning household name with global recognition to inflict pain and anguish on so many victims. Despite numerous reports of his destructive abuse over the years, the brazen acts of intimidation against his accusers kept him shielded from prosecution. Today's sentencing sends a clear message that no amount of money or fame is enough to evade justice. Money, power, and fame will not buy you immunity in the United States. And the United States government will hold you accountable for any atrocities you commit. Kelly was adored by legions of fans and sold millions of albums even after allegations about his abuse of young girls began circulating publicly in the 1990s. He beat child pornography charges in Chicago in 2008 when a jury acquitted him. Widespread outrage over Kelly's sexual misconduct didn't emerge until the release of the documentary Surviving R. Kelly. The singer, born Robert Sylvester Kelly, is known for work including the 1996 hit I Believe I Can Fly and the cult classic Trapped in the Closet, a multi-part tale of sexual betrayal and intrigue. According to testimony, Kelly gave several accusers herpes without disclosing he had an STD, coerced a teenage boy to join him for sex with a naked girl who emerged from underneath a boxing ring in his garage, and shot a shaming video that showed one victim smearing feces on her face as punishment for breaking his rules. The horrors your victims endured, U.S. District Judge Ann Donnelly said as she sentenced him, no price is too high to pay for your happiness. Attorney Gloria Allred represented many of Kelly's accusers. They were able to fight his power by becoming empowered young women themselves who refused to be intimidated by him and his enablers. I am proud of all of them. And there are many sacrifices made in order to bring R. Kelly finally to the bar of justice. They have succeeded in making R. Kelly suffer the consequences of his criminal acts. In addition, they are relieved that he has been sent to prison for approximately 30 years because while he is in custody, he will not be able to continue to sexually victimize any other underage girls. And protecting other girls has been a major goal of theirs. One of Allred's clients, Lizette Martinez, was a 17-year-old aspiring singer when she met Kelly at a Florida mall. Today was a very special but hard day for us. I personally, this happened to me a long time ago. I was 17. I'm 45 today. I never thought that I would be here to see him be held accountable for the atrocious things that he did to children. I don't know what else to say except that I'm grateful. I'm grateful for today. And I'm grateful that Robert Sylvester Kelly is away and will stay away and will not be able to harm anyone else. Thank you. Lizette, what did he do to your life? He ruined it. Tell us how. I was an up-and-coming singer. I was 
a girl full of life, very innocent, but very driven and preyed upon basically at the mall in Aventura, Florida and promised just a mentorship and quickly turned into, I would just say, a sex slave. Another victim, Jovante, says it's hard to believe justice could come after 30 years. I am Jovante. I started this journey 30 years ago. I was 14 years old when I encountered Robert Sylvester Kelly. There wasn't a day in my life up until this moment that I actually believed that the judicial system will come through for black and brown girls. I stand here very proud of my judicial system, very proud of my fellow survivors, and very pleased with the outcome. 30 years did he do this, and 30 years is what he got. I can't speak to why it takes anyone the amount of time that it takes, but they've done their homework, they've presented their case, and now we have justice in our judicial system. They were not paying attention to the details that were being articulated to them. I won't say that they were not paying attention. I will say that they were not listening for detail. Javante, how did this affect your life, your, your dealings with him? Being in a situation as such affords you the ability to be revictimized over and over again in different areas of your life. When you are taught to be quiet and to keep silent about things that should be spoken about openly, you find yourself reclused, and that often affords people the ability to manipulate you. Meanwhile, outside the court, an R. Kelly supporter screamed his support for the disgraced singer as others spoke in support of the women. He was here the time of the set of the, the hearing of the trial. He got arrested for sexual assault, harassment, I think it was, got out, then went back. Kelly got convicted to di decided to want to talk about he's storming the building to kill these people and anybody that wants to come along with me come on and whoever don't stay over there ridiculous I'm glad I came here today to come out and stand for these girls because nobody else did no no I came out to stand out for minors what do you say about the sex tapes with minors what you gonna say about that what do you want to say about no 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 ask that ask that what do you say about that you're talking he recorded himself. As a trial, evidence also was presented about a fraudulent marriage scheme hatched to protect Kelly after he feared he had impregnated R&B star Aaliyah in 1994 when she was just 15. Witnesses say they were married in matching jogging suits using a license falsely listing her age as 18. He was 27 at the time. And in another trial that had a sentence today, uh, Lev Parnas, an associate of Rudy Giuliani, who was a figure in President Donald Trump's first impeachment investigation, was sentenced today to a year and eight months in prison for fraud and campaign finance crimes. Parnas had sought leniency on the grounds that he'd cooperated with the congressional probe of Trump and his efforts to get the leaders of Ukraine to investigate President Joe Biden's son. I'm doing good. I am relieved that it's finally over. It's been a long time coming. Uh, the biggest thing is, you know, obviously I'm worried about my family, you know, what they're going to do. And uh, now it's time for us to get back home and make plans and uh, get the chapter behind us. And uh, like I said, it's time to move on. Uh, like uh, what happened today has nothing to do with the truth that I've been getting out. I will continue to get the truth out. There's a lot more that needs to get out about Rudy Giuliani, president, ex-president, the former guy Trump. And uh, everything that they did. And if they would have called me as a witness when they 
should have, we wouldn't have had January 6th. This wouldn't have happened. And it's unfortunate that there's still so much to tell, but uh, it will come out. The criminal case against Parnas was not directly related to his work acting as a fixer for Giuliani, as the former New York City mayor connected with Ukrainian officials and lobbied them to launch an investigation of Biden's son, Hunter. Instead, it zeroed in on donations Parnas had illegally made to a number of U.S. politicians using the riches of a wealthy Russian as part of an effort to jumpstart a legal recreational marijuana business. And authorities in New York filed lawsuits against 10 companies selling parts for so-called ghost guns in an effort to hold distributors accountable for the proliferation of mail order components used to make untraceable guns that lead to shootings. The lawsuits invoked a newly enacted state public nuisance law that hit companies on multiple fronts, including one from New York State Attorney General Letitia James filed against 10 distributors in state court and another by the New York City Law Department against five of the same companies filed in federal court in Manhattan. Attorney General James speaking earlier today. We are grappling with a public safety crisis that has claimed far too many lives. And increasingly, ghost guns are to blame for the destruction and the carnage and the harm. So today, the Office of Attorney General, we are filing a lawsuit against 10 companies that have been illegally selling ghost guns into New York. These 10 out-of-state companies have sold tens of thousands of illegal ghost guns, gun parts to New Yorkers, parts that have been easily converted to working guns, guns that have actually claimed lives. They sell ghost gun pieces or kits directly to consumers without a background check and without any federally required record of the sale. As part of the investigation, undercover investigators were able to purchase unfinished frames online from three distributors who shipped them into New York without serial numbers or a background check as required by law. The attorney general then listed some stories of lives that were tragically impacted by ghost guns in New York. In the words of defendant 80 percent arms, this process of converting these receivers or framers into fully operable and untraceable firearms is, quote, ridiculously easy, unquote. That simple process to assemble and the fact that the unfinished frames and receivers evade public safety measures is one of the main marketing and selling points that the company uses. 80% Arms writes on its website, quote, that means no red tape, including no registering an 80% lower, no transfer fees like a typical firearm, and even better, no FFL required. It ships right to your door, unquote. What is an FFL? The FFL is a federal firearms license, which requires by law that the federal licensing center conduct background checks. You must have an FFL to sell or ship guns. So this is a clear violation of federal law. In May 2020, distributor Bromnells sold and shipped ghost gun products to a convicted criminal and repeat customer. Let me say that again. A convicted criminal and a repeat customer 
who was legally ineligible to own or operate a firearm. That same month, that customer allegedly used a ghost gun in a triple shooting that killed one person and injured two others in the Bronx. The city's lawsuit was filed in the U.S. District Court of Manhattan following an undercover investigation by the New York City Sheriff's Office. As part of the investigation, an undercover sheriff's office investigator at a Manhattan address used fake credit cards to purchase components and gun kits. Thank you.